Welcome to the Well Ministry Podcast, where we want to help you understand the Bible. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Pastor Nathan Walter. Um, and just to, just to recap what happened in last week's episode, um, Jacob has the birthright and the blessings. He's, t- he's taken them from, from Esau. Um, God had said that he would have it, um, but his mother kind of helps trick um, her husband Isaac into giving it to Jacob. And here we're going to see the aftermath of that, what comes from that. Um, so it's in Genesis 27, 41. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessings his father had given him. He said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. When Rebekah was told what her older son Esau had said, she sent for her younger son Jacob and said to him, your brother Esau is planning to avenge himself by killing you. Now then, my son, do what I say. Flee at once to my brother Laban in Haran. Stay with him for a while until your brother's fury subsides. When your brother is no longer angry with you and forgets what you did to him, I'll send word for you to come back from there. Why should I lose both of you in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I'm disgusted with living because of these Hittite women. If Jacob takes a wife from among the women of this land, from Hittite women like these, my life will not be worth living. For some reason, I picture her coming in like this. I am disgusted with living. Um, That's that's exactly what she sounded like. So so here we see Esau, after Jacob takes a blessing, Esau decides, you know, what any man would decide in the situation, I'm just going to kill him, Right? I'm just going to kill him. As soon as my father dies, I'm going to kill my brother Jacob. And this further shows, last time we talked about that word that they used to describe him, Saeed, where it was used as like a hunter. And we think like, oh, that just means like he like hunts deer. But the only other time we saw this word was when it was describing Nimrod, who was a a killer and a murderer and and an awful man. So I'm not saying that he's necessarily a killer or a murderer. We don't know that he's killed anyone before. But it's funny how quickly he goes to it to solve his problems, right? And it's not just some guy who wronged him. He's like, I'm going to kill him. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to kill him. And, and his mother is like, Esau could. Esau could kill him. I mean, I'm, I might say, I'm going to kill him. And everybody in my life is like, oh, that's, that's so cute. You're so angry. Look at you, you little man. You know, like you're not killing anybody, you know? And I'll be like, gosh, show you, I will kill. No, I'm just kidding. But, um, but it also makes us wonder how much of this guy's behavior is kept in check by his father, Right? Esau doesn't deserve the blessing because the only thing that's keeping him from murdering his family member is he's like, well, dad wouldn't like it. Once dad's not around to not like it, I'll kill him. And then everyone will be happy, right? But Esau, if he kills Jacob, he will be killed either by the clan to like enforce the law, like you can't kill your family, or another of Jacob's kinsmen will actually um, exact revenge. It's called the avenger of blood. So if someone kills someone else, then that person's closest relative is going to go kill him. And then that person's closest relative is going to go kill him. And that's why she says, and this is a fairly common thing. That's why she says, why should I lose you both in the same day? Right? She knows this is just going to end in death for everybody. And so we do see that she does love Esau too, because she doesn't want him to die also. She could just be like, why would I lose my precious son, Jacob? But she says, I don't want it. This will be the death of both of my boys. And so she comes up with a plan to send uh, Jacob to her brother Laban. And, and it says, stay with him a while. Let's just send him to stay with him for a while. Uh, but the original word actually implies only a few days. Let's just send him there for a few days. But he ends up staying with Laban for 20 years. 20 years. She will never see him again. She's never going to see him again. 
and actually brings to mind what she said in the past where he was like, I don't know about this, dressing up like Esau, taking the blessing. And she's like, son, if there's a curse, let the curse be on me. And this kind of is her curse from doing things her own way is that she won't see her son again. She won't see Jacob again. And the reason he's there for 20 years is because of her brother Laban, because of his trickery and his manipulation. She kind of, what you sow, you reap, right? She, she uses trickery and manipulation for Jacob to steal the blessing. And then when Jacob goes off, he's there for 20 years and she doesn't get to see him again because her brother's trickery and manipulation. We see it runs in the family. So even though things might have worked out where Jacob got the blessing, we see there's hard consequences for doing things her way rather than trusting God. She, she did get that curse. And her excuse for sending him, to way, him away is that she won't marry as Esau has done. She's like, if, last week we talked about how they, his wives just made their lives bitter, right? And everyone's like, well, I was with my in-laws and life's pretty bitter right now. I, I would go with it. None of my in-laws, but other people, right? And so Isaac agrees. Isaac, Isaac's like, yeah, you're right. I don't like him either. They've made my life bitter. Let's send him away. And so let's see what happens in Genesis 28, verse 1. So Isaac called for Jacob and blessed him. Then he commanded him, do not marry a Canaanite woman. Go at once to Paddan Aram, to the house of your mother's father, Bethuel. Take a wife for yourself there from among the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples. May he give you and your descendants the blessing given to Abraham so that you may take possession of the land where you now reside as a foreigner, the land God gave to Abraham. Then Isaac sent Jacob on his way, and he went to Paddan Aram, to Laban, son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, who was the mother of Jacob and Esau. Now Esau learned that Isaac had blessed Jacob and had sent him to Paddan Aram to take a wife from there, and that when he blessed him, he commanded him, do not marry a Canaanite woman, and that Jacob had obeyed his father and mother and had gone to Paddan Aram. Esau then realized how displeasing the Canaanite women were to his father Isaac, so he went to Ishmael and married Mahathlath, that name's for grabs if you want to name your daughter something beautiful, the sister of Neboath and daughter of Ishmael, son of Abraham, in addition to the wives he already had. So here we see Isaac send Jacob off to gain a wife with a blessing. And if you remember, this whole thing was about a blessing. When uh, Jacob was dressed up as Esau, Isaac blessed him, right? Passing on the blessing from Abraham. And he's passing it on to his son now. But if you remember that blessing, it didn't have all the elements that God had said to Abraham. God had said, be fruitful and increase in numbers and you will, be, you will spur, have great nations that come from you. He says all those things. And, and Isaac doesn't say all of that when he's blessing Jacob. Maybe it was kind of because he was unsure if it was Esau. Maybe it was because he knew he was giving it to Esau and he knew it was supposed to go to Jacob. Maybe he was unimpressed with both of his sons and was just like, I can't like, give this blessing wholeheartedly because I'm not, I'm not really happy about it. We don't really know, but he didn't say the whole blessing. But here we see when he sends him off to get a wife, he adds those other elements that were missing to be passed on from Abraham's blessing, to be fruitful and possess the land. One noted difference, one thing we see here we didn't see before at all, he says, increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples. And this is the first time we see this particular phrasing. In the original text, because I know everyone's sitting there like, what's the original text? You know, I'm with you. 
It's Gahalamim, and it means a holy convocation of fellow countrymen. It's like an assembly of people that are set apart to be holy, and these people would all be from the same tribe or group of tribes. It's the first time we see this, and it's important because Jacob, who will be renamed Israel, he's the first father in this line whose children will all be part of the people of God. If you remember, Abraham had Ishmael and Isaac, and God chose Isaac, and so Ishmael's line was cut off. They were not part of the people of God any longer. Completely different. And Isaac hands his off to Jacob, and Esau, who was not blessed, will not be a part of the people of God. His descendants, his line is cut off. But here with Jacob, this is the first time all of his children will be part of the people of God. His 12 sons become the 12 tribes of Israel, all of them. And we see that in the blessing where it says, may you become a community of people, may you become a community of tribes. That particular blessing that we see for the first time is saying this. So no, no lines will be cut off anymore. All his sons will be the tribes of Israel. And on that note, we see Esau go marry again, and, and he marries of the line of Ishmael. He's like realizes, oh man, maybe I did wrong by marrying these Hittite women, these, these local pagan women. So he's like, man, I'm going to please my mom and dad this time. I'm going to go marry within the line. And he goes and marries of the line of Ishmael, which isn't a part of the line of God. It's not a part of the family of God, which just shows Esau had no clue. He just had no clue what God wanted. He just seems like someone who never listened. Like even when he's trying to get it right, he just he doesn't have the elements because he's never listened. He doesn't even know. He just never got it. And this alliance between Esau's people and Ishmael's people will form the vast majority of the Islamic nations that are at war with Israel. Are the descendants of Esau and Ishmael in the combined line in the individual lines? But we're not here to follow Esau. We're following Jacob. So let's just continue on his journey. Uh, in Genesis 28.10, says, Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I'm taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house and of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. So Jacob leaves Beersheba and sets out for Haran. He leaves Beersheba to save his life. He's running for his life, basically. I'm sure if anyone asked him, hey, what are you doing? Why are you traveling? 
all, all by yourself. Where are you going? He, he wouldn't be like, well, I've got a story to tell. He'd probably be like, you know, I just thought it was time to see the world. You know, get out there, find a nice lady, you know, and all the ladies nearby couldn't find him. Got to go somewhere else, right? I'm just off to see the world. You know, he's going to like cover what's going on. But you know that walking by himself, you know, he's deep in thought. You know, he's thinking. I'm sure he's filled with some regrets, some worries. And he's on this, he's on this journey, and he goes about 40 or 50 miles from Beersheba to Bethel. And he goes to sleep on a pillow that he made out of a rock, which I always wonder in cartoons and in Lord of the Rings, they're sleeping on roots and rocks. And I'm just like, I just feel like grass would be more comfortable. I don't know why the rock is always where they, where they rest their head. But it, while he's sleeping, this amazing sleep on a rock, he has this amazing experience with God in this place. And we really get the feeling this is the first time he's experienced God. He's having an experience with God for himself. It's the first time God speaks to him directly and not with his father's voice. He's heard things about God. He's surely heard things from his father where his father says, God told me this, God says this. But this is the first time for himself he's experiencing this God. He's hearing the voice of God. We only see him speak God's name one other time before this. And it's when he's pretending to be Esau, when he's fooling his father, when he's lying, when he's in the depths of deceit. In Genesis 27, 20, it says, Isaac asked his son, how did you find it so quickly, my son? And he, his response is, the Lord your God gave me success. The Lord your God gave me success. Not my God, your God, not mine. This man isn't someone who is following God. He's not looking for God. He's not on this journey like, I'm going to go find God. I need to get closer to this God. He's just on a journey. He's not seeking God. And he reaches this certain place. And the NIV word reached and reached a certain place, it's translated more closely like happens upon or strikes upon. It really means like it's really random that he found this place and stopped here. It's a random place to stop. But something that's random to Jacob is not random to God. Because this place, Bethel, that he's stopping just because that's as far as he could get, it's actually one of the first places in the promised land that Abraham set up an altar and called on the name of the Lord. And then when he went to Egypt and made all those mistakes and came back, it's the place he returned and set, an, set up an altar and called on the name of the Lord again. And here Jacob finds himself here by chance. We like to think sometimes that, that things rest outside of his providence, like there's, there's luck or coincidence or like chance happenings. But Daisy always says, she always says, there's no coincidences. There's only God. A God that Jacob is not looking for, but he's found anyway. And we have to, it's kind of a wonder that God bothers himself with this man. I think when we read the Bible and we come across these characters, we think like, man, I don't, I don't really like this guy. I don't know why God chose this person. And sometimes it causes doubt because we're like, why would God choose this person? This guy is deceitful. He's a liar. And even after he has this encounter with God, he's like, whoa, that was amazing. I just encountered God. If you do these things for me, if you bless my journey, if you feed me, if you give me clothes, then... You're going to be my God, bud. I'll let you call me your son. Right? That's his response. And it just shows where his heart is and like what a limited understanding he has. And it really drives home. Like if you're like, I don't like this guy. And then he encounters God and then he says that. You're like, yeah, I don't like him. 
I, don't, I, I, I like him less than I did before. And this dream, it brought him to his knees. He was like, this is awesome. But it's, it's more like, man, he's on his knees in awe of like what just happened rather than like repentance. He's not on his knees repenting. He's just like, whoa. He's on his knees in awe. And he begins, the first thing he begins to do is try to bend God's will to his. He's like, man, this is a powerful God. I could really use this power. God, if you do these things, if you do what I want you to do, then I'm going to follow you. And honestly, when we read this, I mean, no one, no one likes this guy. And even if it's your first time reading the Bible, you're just like, man, I don't know God very well, but that just doesn't seem like it would sit well with me. You know, like if my kid came to me and was like, if you feed me breakfast, lunch, and dinner, buy me the clothes I want, buy me the toys I want, then you can be my dad. You know, and I'd be like, if you go to your room, if you shut your mouth, then you can live. You know, um, but we're kind of, if we think about it, we're kind of the same. We're kind of the same. We, we pray for what we want. We ask God what we want him to do. You know, we ask for, we, we may pray, may your will be done, but we're asking for our will to be done because we think what's, know what's best for our lives and for those around us. We know what's best for those around us. And when he doesn't answer our prayer, how do we respond? When he doesn't answer our prayer, we said, well, I don't know if you're going to be my God. I don't know if I'm going to continue to follow you because you're not answering my prayers. You're not doing what I want you to do. In fact, I've talked to many Christians who, or people who have stopped following God and they always say, well, I prayed this and it didn't happen. It's like, well, maybe God had a better plan. Maybe God had a different plan. So you stopped following God because he didn't do what you wanted him to do. That's the spirit that Jacob has here when he's like, I will follow you if you do what I want you to do. But it's not following if God's doing what you want him to do. God's following you. And that's what Jacob is asking for. And honestly, that's what we are often asking God to do. Answer our prayers, do what we want. Or, or we think in our hearts, well, I don't know if I'm going to continue to follow him. I don't know if I'm going to continue to read this Bible and see what he says. Because he's not answering my prayers. And so as much as we don't like Jacob, like in, in all honesty, are we any better than Jacob? Are we more holy than Jacob? Are we more deserving than Jacob? When we look at it. But let's look at this, this other character in this encounter. When God reveals himself to Jacob, when Jacob is talking to God, we see just more of the same old Jacob, but you're like, yeah, I don't like this guy. But when God reveals himself to Jacob, this Jacob who has just tricked his father, tricked Isaac, who up to this point has a much closer relationship with God. Isaac is the heir. Isaac has received the promise the son of Abraham. He has followed God's will. This is God's son. He has the covenant with God. He has the promise from God, a holy covenant with the living God, and Jacob has stolen it. He came by it dishonestly, and by the looks of it, he has no idea what he's taken. He stole the covenant. How disrespectful is that to God? Is that respecting God? I mean, if you knew who God was and what he could do, you might be like, man, I don't know if I want to mess with that. I don't know if I want to mess with that because what would God do to me? I mean, does that constitute sin? You would think that Jacob is right for a little talking to. You would, you would think that God's like, oh yeah, okay, Jacob, let's have a little dream. I'm going to take you up this ladder and then I'm going to drop you, right? Because you need to know, you need to know who you're talking to, right? I mean, that's how we get, right? Little kids or your children or someone's like talking to you a certain way, you're like, mm, 
you need to get a little fear of daddy in you. You need to know who you're talking to, Aurora. You know? And she's like, I don't know. I'm small. Right? I mean, we get like that. We're like, you, all you, you need to know who you're talking to. And we picture God like God's been like, hey, Jacob, man, I'll be your God. We need to get up on the right foot here, okay? You know, like just power, lightning, fire, right? And that's honestly, I mean, that's sometimes how we view God. It is. Like when we're running from God or like when we don't know God, it's just like, man, I just picture my first conversation with God is going to be like, mm-hmm, look what you've done. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you, you did this and you did that. I was not pleased when you did that. I honestly, I, you know, I'm a God of love, but I had a little hate for you when you did this, right? I mean, we just picture that God's just going to ream us out. He's just going to lay into us. It happens all the time. When we fall into sin, we're like, we don't go to church that Sunday because we're like, man, if I go to Sunday, if I go to church on Sunday, you know what I'm going to hear? Things about me, things I don't want to hear, right? I'm not ready to deal with that. And then we don't go for two weeks because we're like, I don't want to hear it. And we, we kind of don't pray because we just view God like that's what God is going to do. And people in the world that don't know God at all because they've encountered Christians on Facebook, they expect that that's what God's going to do. God's like, have you seen this article? Yeah. Have you seen this article? Did you see this article? Did you share this article? I sent that article and I said, if you love God, share it. And you didn't share it. So you obviously don't love me. And that happened four times. Right? Like, it's just, but God doesn't lead that way. He's not like that at all. God does show Jacob whom he serves, but he doesn't even bring up what he's done. He doesn't bring it up. He doesn't bring up his past sin. He makes no mention of his faults or his failures. He leads with grace. A grace, something, a promise so big and so great, Jacob doesn't even understand it. He doesn't deserve it and he doesn't understand it. And God leads with a promise to Jacob, he leads by showing Jacob his goodness. He's revealing himself to Jacob by simply showing him his goodness, and that's all. He leads by showing his faithfulness. He says, I'm going to do, I, I will be with you. He says, I, I will be with you, and I will, I will never leave you until all these things I spoke to you would be accomplished. That's what God says to Jacob. First thing he says. And Jacob, I mean, he's a little rough around the edges, and we all are when we encounter God for the first time. But this encounter is not about Jacob. It's not about Jacob. It's not about how deserving he is or how holy he is or why he was chosen to be the leader of Israel. Because look at this guy, right? Natural born leader. That's not, it's not about Jacob. It's about God. In his vision, he sees a ladder connecting heaven and earth with angels ascending and descending. And this ladder, this vision, represents a connection between heaven and earth. He calls it the gate of heaven because to him it represents the doors to heaven, access to heaven. Man, this is where heaven touches earth right here in this place, and I've just found it. And it does. It represents access to heaven, but it's just a taste. It's just a taste of access to heaven. In, in, in this vision, God says in verse 14, all people will be blessed by you and your offspring. All people will be blessed by you and your offspring. A promise that he has continually repeated to this family line. And this promise is fulfilled in the New Testament. If you'll turn with me, we're going to look at Matthew 3, 16.
And again, we see the heavens open. But it's not just Jacob. It's not just the person experiencing it who sees it. It says, um, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. This is God showing Jesus that ladder where Jacob, your forefather, saw angels ascending and descending, that access to heaven. Now you're seeing the heavens open up and the spirit of God descending from heaven and touching upon earth on my son. This is heaven come to earth. This is a fulfillment of a long ago promise. And then it also, in John 14, 6, Jesus continues to speak of this same thing when he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's saying, I am the ladder. I am the ladder. I am the access. This is how you get to heaven. This is, I am your access to heaven. I'm your access to God's voice. And then he doesn't stop there because God's just like, he's not, he's not pleased with the ladder. He's not happy with just a ladder. And then in Acts 2, 17, 17, it says, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit, that dove, the spirit of the living God that has descended on Jesus. He says, I'll, I'll pour out my spirit on all people, on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. And they will prophesy. He then leaves. So he then, when Jesus leaves, God sends the Holy Spirit to even further expand this access to heaven. This, the Spirit of God can now sit in any of us. What used to be, and I think because we've been living in this, we like don't really understand how amazing it is. Because for the Israelites who were following God way before Jesus came along, like that, the presence of the living God was only in the Ark of the Covenant. If they lost the Ark of the Covenant, man, it was devastating because they were like, oh no, that, that was our access to heaven. That was God. That was the spirit of God. It was, in, it was in that box. And then when it was at the temple, they were like, and the temple was destroyed. They were like, oh no, that temple, that was where the ark sat. That was where we met God. That was the only place we could meet God. That is where we went to find out what God wanted and what God said in that one place. That was the only place to go. That was the ladder. And then all of a sudden, heaven comes to earth but not in a ladder, not in a single access point. It's an outpouring. It's an outpouring over everyone. Anyone can have it. What changed this man's life, this encounter that Jacob has with God, is open to anyone, to anyone. And it changed who Jacob was. I mean, we don't like him, but we'll grow to like him because this experience with God, hearing from God, this access to heaven is going to change who he is. It's going to change his character. It's going to change his countenance, his very countenance. This same grace that God showed this undeserving man, God is showing that grace. He made it so he could show that grace to everyone, to the ends of the earth. This latter that we read this thing that sounds like an amazing experience. It's just a small little piece, a small showing of Jesus. It's just a piece of the wonders to come with the Holy Spirit. This vision is nothing compared to what's to come. 
This vision is nothing compared to what we have available to us. And it was just a piece. This God's goodness that he shows Jacob is just a piece of his goodness. And I often wonder, why did God come looking for Jacob when he was so undeserving? When he was just like a trashy person, why did God look for him? And then when I think about who I was, I have to say, why did God come looking for me? Because I didn't go looking for him. I was not looking for him. And I'd seen him before. And I had reached that point where I said, you did not do what I would have liked you to do. My life is in this place because you didn't answer my prayers. And you will not be my God. I never stopped believing in God. Never. I was just mad at him. And he would not be my God. Because he did not do what I would have liked him to do with my life. My life was not like people around me. And it was God's fault. And he did not do what I wanted him to do when I wanted him to do it. And so I said in my heart, you will not be my God. But he chased me down anyway. Just as he chases all of us down. He seeks us out and we don't deserve it. No matter who you are, no matter what, you, what, what you've done, no matter how great you are or how bad you are, you're never going to deserve it. But God leads with grace. He leads by showing his faithfulness. He leads by saying, and I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you until my promise is fulfilled. Sometimes, even those, those of us who've walked for Jesus, with Jesus for some time, we become a little too aware of our shortcomings. I'm always aware of my shortcomings. I think about my shortcomings far more often than I think about the power of God. And I have to be reminded, no, it doesn't matter my shortcomings because God is in control and God is moving. It's up to God. And constantly we feel like, even if we're like, I mean, at first we're like, man, this disqualifies me from being a Christian, from knowing God. And then we become a Christian, I'm like, well, this disqualifies me from being used. And then we're like, okay, well, that disqualifies me from being used greatly. And we're constantly coming up with reasons and things that disqualify us from being who God wants us to be. Things that we think disqualify us from knowing God as well as people in the Bible. We're constantly coming up with our own shortcomings and our own reasons. But God is not the one pointing the finger telling us that. That does not come from God. Because that is not what we see God do when he encounters a lying little worm. He doesn't say, look what you've done. You don't deserve this. You don't deserve the blessing I gave. You are not your grandfather. You are not your dad. You are, you are nothing compared to them. I wish you turned out better. I really could have used someone who was a little bit more like your grandfather or a little bit more like your dad. He doesn't say that at all. He, in fact, says, I'm going to bless all people through you. And all your sons are going to be part of my people. And the things I'm going to do with you, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you until this promise is fulfilled. I will do what I said I will do. That is God. Thank you. Like when Jacob leaves his family, he leaves with burdens. He leaves with a heavy heart. He leaves carrying guilt. And he leaves possibly believing that there's no way he could have the promise now when his father said, may you inherit this land. May you grow into a great nation and you will, you will have this land, the promised land. Well, right now he's leaving the promised land and he's in retreat because his brother's going to kill him. And I'm, you know he's leaving like there's no way. Dad may have spoken that blessing over me. He may have passed it on to me, but there's no way it can happen because I am now leaving the promised land. 
And I, and I don't know when or if I can return because when I return, death awaits me here. For, for Abraham and Isaac, it was just like, you know, the, the standard for Abraham is like, I don't know what's going to be there. There could be other tribes. I don't know what the land looks like. I'm just following God. For Jacob, he's like, if I return, what awaits me there is death. And I cannot see the promise that was given to my father extending to me. I am leaving the promise behind. But God said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I go with you, and I will bring you back. And I will establish you in the land. And the promise will come to pass, not because of who you are or what you've done. It's not because of your character. It's not because of your life skills. It's because of who I am and my faithfulness to you. And after this moment, we're going to see some things change in Jacob. He becomes a little bit more calm. He begins carrying this peace that passes all understanding. He, he's carrying the blessing, and we begin to see it. We begin to see him walking in the blessing. And you know what's happened? Nothing. Nothing has happened. He hasn't accumulated an army. He hasn't accumulated any wealth. The difference in him comes with his encounter with God. And that's it. And the lesson for us today is that God's love is not based on our actions. God's love is not based on who we are, on what we've done, on our failures and our faults and our guilt and our shortcomings. It's based on God's goodness and it's based on the blood of the lamb. Because God sent his son so that all peoples could be blessed and all people could have this experience. He opened it up. And that is what we've been celebrating this season. That little baby in a manger represents access that we would have to God that they did not have before that wasn't poured out on, on, on all people. The baby in the manger is the evidence of God's goodness of God fulfilling his promises. And that little baby came down the line from this man who did not know and would not see with his own eyes how God would do even more than he promised through him, the undeserving. And God can do even more through each one of you, no matter how undeserving you are. And it is his desire to do that. He wants you to know him and he wants to lead with his goodness and his grace. He doesn't want to lead that conversation talking about you. He wants to lead that conversation talking about himself and how much he loves you. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you that you are good. I thank you that you love us. I thank you that you gave your life for us, Lord. I thank you for this access to heaven we all have, Lord. And we repent as a people for, for listening to the enemy, Lord, for listening to the lies that say that we have too many shortcomings, that we have too many failures, we have too many faults. And every single one of us, no matter how put together we may seem to everyone else, thinks that from time to time. 
Every single one of us doesn't always get your goodness because it is so otherworldly. It is so difficult to understand a goodness that we don't see here on this earth. But I pray that in our hearts, we'd be open to seeing your goodness. We'd be open to hearing the word of the Lord, that we would begin to hear you and see you begin to trust you, begin to trust that you know what you're doing, Lord, and begin to trust your word when you say who we are. Rather than believing the lies that are told to us, Lord, I just pray that we begin to believe you. We thank you and we praise you that you love us so. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about The Well and other resources to help you study the Bible, go to thewellministry.co.